welcome once again to Three Gens Theology. We have come back together again sans cameras so that uh, we can speak about the beauty of our Lord without the marring of it with our own images. Dis, dis beauty. <laughs> uh, we are glad to be with you again. And speaking of Christology, we are uh, excited to be uh, stepping into the scriptures again to talk about the Lord, uh, hoping to come alongside and be an encouragement in your walk with Him, your growth in your own faith. And uh, as we talk about these truths, we hope that it increases your knowledge, but uh, what we really hope is that your relationship with Him will will be advanced and uh, and fuller. Uh, we, we hope that uh, as we talk about these things, your confidence in the scriptures will grow and then uh, your ability to live, live fully for him and share of him will be increased as well. So we just want to be an, an encouragement in your, in your walk with the Lord, of course. So we're going to jump back into uh, Christology once again uh, after uh, Jim, why don't you uh, start us with prayer? Okay. Father, as we bow before you now, we want to give you the praise and the worship that you deserve. Our hearts are full of thanksgiving and praise to you. We recognize, Lord, that you have given us not only the revelation of your word, the truth that is there, but you've also given us by the Holy Spirit the ability to have that truth illumined to our minds and Our hearts are full of thanksgiving for the opportunities that you've given us to be able to share these insights with each other and with those who are listening. We just ask, dear Lord, that you'll guide us and direct us in our study of your word and use us, Heavenly Father, to glorify yourself, for we desire more than anything else to please you. And we ask these things not for ourselves, but for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to interrupt your, uh, your, your introduction sure. for just a second. I want to make a comment about, about prayers, okay? Um, I've been a pastor for almost 30 years, I think, now. And uh, I assumed that uh, as I, um, knowing you for quite some time now, that I, as, as I was a pastor longer and longer and longer, that my, my prayers might become more eloquent, uh, as I knew your prayers were eloquent. Nope. Didn't happen. <laughs> I still, I still have, I still have the plain old me prayers. Somewhere along the line, I realized that that was good. That uh, you have eloquent prayers because you speak eloquently. That's why you have eloquent prayers, right? And I have ineloquent prayers <laughs> because I speak plainly. And uh, our prayers uh, don't need to be special language before right. God. Absolutely, uh, they they are uh, us speaking to God, and at times we don't. We're praying prayers that are real. We're not. We're not right. praying special prayers here. They're not in written our, in, down in our podcasts, um, and, and and yet they're they they are public prayers because we're praying about our podcast or you know those kind of things. But they're genuine, um, but. There are prayers that um, are about really hard things in life, and 
you don't have to hold back from praying because you don't know what to say, mm. because you don't quite know how to form it before God. Um, just pray the prayer. Yes. Just just say those things. Uh, if you fumble over words, fine. He's a big enough God to handle your fumbling over the over the over the prayer. And so yeah, people who have been people who have been in church a long time may know all the all the right words to say, but if their heart isn't in the prayer, their correctly worded prayer is worth nothing compared to the person who is fumbling over every other word, but their heart is clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just wanted to I always I, I often think about that when Jim prays that his his words flow eloquently. Um, and it always sounds so beautiful, and that isn't because he prays better than others. It's because he always speaks better, more clearly, more eloquently than others. Uh, and so I, I just want to assure you that your prayers are as valuable to God, whether they're eloquent or whether they're more like mine, <laughs> and are not nearly as eloquent. So nothing to do with Christology, but I felt like that was an important thing. Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, and I, 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 I want to respond to that for a second, if I could. Number, number one, thank you for, for saying that. Um, if there's any eloquence in my prayers, it's only because I'm kind of a, of a bookish person. But there's something more to it, and I, I really think that what has, as I have grown in my faith in Christ, one of the things that has been involved in that is a desire to be more biblical. I do think scripture is important. In my prayer, mm-hmm. which is extremely important. And I think the fact that I have spent as much time thinking about theology and my relationship with the Father and with the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think those things have also informed part of the way I pray. But I agree with you completely, Dan, and I think it's important for our listeners to remember, just as I I do with someone who is a brand new believer, when I've had the joy of leading them to Christ and ask them to pray to the Father, their usual response is, I don't know what to say. (laughs) And my response to that is, just tell the Father, what's on your heart right now? Yep. Thank him for what he has done for you. And you can do that, and the Father will be pleased to hear what you pray. Yep. And the scripture about the Spirit interpreting for us with uh, groanings, <clears throat> I always thought about that verse that we have groanings and the Spirit interprets for us, mm-hmm. but that verse is actually saying the Spirit even has groanings. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's true that uh, there's times we don't even know what to pray, and, and God can handle even that. Amen. You know, so. Amen. Sorry, interruption, but I thought it was That's a, good a, one. a valid one. <laughs> well, we, uh, in the last two podcasts, have had the opportunity to talk about things that relate to the, the background, the Old Testament background, if you will, for what we know about the activities of the Son of God before he took on flesh, before he was born at Bethlehem. When we want to seek more evidence of who he is, that he is in fact God, that he did come into the earth as the sacrifice that had been promised from the earliest times, from the time of Adam and Eve, 
as the promised one who came and took on flesh to suffer for us and who is going to return as King of kings and Lord of lords as he is. We need to look at the New Testament. We need to see the evidence that is given there uh, concerning Jesus, not only the things that he said about himself, which are very important, but also the evidence of others who testified concerning him, including the Father, the Spirit, the disciples, and those who were uh, believers around him. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's start with the testimony of the Father. What are some things that the Father said about Jesus Christ that help us to know that he was more than just a man? Uh, the clearest and most blatant um, testimony is the baptism, mm -hmm. uh, the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and it's repeated uh, there in three of the Gospels yes. um, in, that, in that setting. And so it's, um, it's a very clear statement from the Father um, that um, as Jesus is being baptized, this is my beloved son. So it's, that's really a, a, such a clear one that's so important. It's not only repeated in, in those three Gospels, right. but it's also in Second Peter. Right. Where Peter is describing the experience that he had that at that time. Um, the testimony of the words of the Father when he gave Jesus various things to do um, are interesting. Jesus said, I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. They said to Jesus, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. So there's the testimony in a sense that Jesus is giving of the father's relationship to him, that the father is in fact seen when he is seen. And then, of course, there's the passage that we looked at last time, John 5, 37. The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but it was through the Son that the Father reveals himself. Yeah, any time that it's, that it's talking about the... Um, especially when John is writing about believing in the Son... Um, it ends up being a statement from the Father's vantage point. Um, so the first, like in First John, in First John five, about the believing in the Son, um, being given eternal life. It's it's from the Father Father's vantage point, stating it officially mm -hmm. that it is through the Son that that eternal life comes. And so we see that in a few different points in John's writing. That, that first that John passage is interesting too, Dan, because uh, John is saying, who the one who does not believe God has made him a liar right? because he's not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Right. So John is very clearly saying, if you doubt the things that the Father has said about the Son, you are calling God the Father a liar. 
And that's a very important testimony concerning him. John 3.16 ends up, ends up being that way as well. Uh, just in the, the way it's set up, uh, it's the Father orchestrating the plan of the gospel, mm-hmm. and it's yep. establishing the truth of the Son. You know, yes. I mean, so it's it's um, all of those all of those Father Son statements end up end up establishing that, and it happens multiple times with with the Book of John, right? And, and, and John's writings. For God, the Father, right so loved the world that he sent who? Right. His so only, only son. begotten son. Yep. yep. Good. Well, what about the testimony of the son? What are some things that Jesus said about himself that help us to identify him as, in fact, the son of God? As we started our last podcast with, this is one of those where it's a, just a clear statement in John 8 where Jesus confronted a crowd with um, because before Abraham was I am and it not only was a a a verb tense yes. uh, confrontation of I'm old enough <laughs> I'm old enough to know Abraham um, but right. also the 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 um, the name I am mm-hmm. uh, the moniker of, of a of deity I am and so it was so clear there of his uh, stating, um, his uh, his pre-incarnate status and also his his uh, deified name right there. So the John eight passage is one that's that's really so clear. But we we'd already touched on that one. There's another one in John ten uh, where Jesus says that he is uh, God is his father and that. He is the Son of the Father, and that He is one with the Father. And that statement was another one that caused great consternation on the part of His listeners because He was identifying Himself as being one with the Father in a way that no one else was. Yeah, imagine this one. You could probably just uh, do a search in the Gospels for uh, pick up stones. <laughs> yes. right? Pick up stones and uh, just read the passage before that. Right? <laughs> yeah, the rulers just figured he was a, gla- a blasphemer of that self because John five eighteen he was making himself equal with God. Yeah. Right. That was how they looked at it. Right. <laughs> right. How dare he? Right. Yeah. When Jesus uh, was asked what the, by the Jews what good work they, for what good work they wanted to stone him, when he asked them that, their response was the stoning was not for anything he had done, but for blasphemy because Jesus as a man was making himself God. That's in John 10. Yeah. John 17 is such a beautiful passage because um, there's a tenderness to it. And it's and it isn't even a public statement. Mm-hmm. It, it's not it's not him making a pronouncement. It is a prayer before the Father. Right. And it is just this back and forth uh, 
uh, Father, you did this, you did this, glorify me, you're, you're glorified, glorify me and you, and um, I've taught them everything you had me teach them. It's just this back and forth conversation with the Father. It's just a, a beautiful passage, and it has nothing to do with um, telling the people who he is. Mm-hmm. It is simply an acknowledgement um, of the private relationship between the Son and the Father. Yes. You, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Dan, the issue of prayer. And I don't think there is a more beautiful prayer in all of Scripture than right. John 17, right. where, where Jesus is there with the disciples. John obviously sat there and heard his Lord praying this prayer. And the Holy Spirit helped him to write it down in the exact way Jesus prayed. But when you read that prayer and read the relationship between the Son and the Father, when I go to be with you, return to me the glory that I had when I was with you before. Those phrases, as you said, Dan, just help us to see in a very private setting the relationship that Jesus not only thought he had, but knew he had with the Father. Mm -hmm. And he even prayed for the disciples that those whom they met would come to know him and believe in him. I'm I'm blown away by that passage, how he said everything that uh, that they've learned everything they needed to learn. And then you think you're reading the Gospels. You're like, are you sure? Are you sure they've learned everything? Are you sure? Because they keep, they keep screwing up. They did. Yeah. They so, did. But then so do I. <laughs> and in fact, Jesus had, pre- had prepared them as much as they could be prepared yep. before his death. And then told them to do nothing. Do, do nothing until the Spirit comes. That's right. <laughs> That's good. But that set, John 17 is a beautiful passage of closeness and 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 confidence from the Son about who He is before the Father. Right. right? Yeah. Right. Another one that I like is the Luke two passage uh, when He's in the temple and He's confused of why His parents are looking for Him while I'm in my Father's house. Yes. And so there we don't have have the uh, you know picking up of stones at a. Uh, Teen boy, right? But I would love to, uh, you know, that's another one where I'd love to see the faces of the people around. Like, do you understand who your your dad's a carpenter? He, he yeah. didn't build the, he didn't build this, but yeah. he's clearly saying, "I'm I'm here. I'm 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 in God's house." He's right. he's, he's sitting there in the presence of these teachers of the law, and astounding them at what he knew. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then when the parents find this delinquent who has disappeared from the mob, <laughs> they say to him, what are you doing? Son, didn't you know we were looking for you? And his response is, I had to be about my father's business. Yeah. Wow. You're right, Cy. That's an incredible one. Right. The testimony of the writers of the Gospels would be the next area that we would really want to explore because these are the men who were with Jesus, the ones who saw him and heard him and, and uh, wondered about what he was, who he was, what all this was going to come to. Uh, and they, they testify in, in beautiful ways. The uh, uh, sorry before we ahead. before we hop into that as we're going to talk about the authors of the gospel, it's you know it's one thing for as we're looking at 
you know, we're looking at the father and uh, Jesus himself and the authors and uh, talk about, you know, the them correctly identifying the, the, the deity of Christ. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's one thing for us to look at, uh, you know, the father saying that Jesus is Christ and it's, and it's, you know, for the gospel writers said, Jesus is, Jesus is, is God. Um, but I think it's, that was something I always thought was funny was Jesus calling himself God is, yeah. is a cyclical argument. Like it, you know, if you were to go into your philosophy class and you were to say, you know, I, I, I am this because I say I'm this. It's like, well, that, that's not how that works. Uh-huh. But when you're God, you know, that's a, that's a different argument. There's, there's, there's no higher thing that can, you know, can prove your argument to be right. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a funny thing for it to be, it's, I think it's the only okay cyclical argument, you know, of, of Jesus calling himself God. That, that, that's okay. It's interesting, Sai, when you mention that, to think of the experience that John the Baptist had with Jesus when he had been there baptizing him. He had referred to him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And yet later on in his ministry, he's wondering is this really the one? Am, am I identifying him properly? And so the response that Jesus says to the disciples to take back to John is, look at the things that I have done and the things that I have said, and you will know. Mm. And that's, that's interesting because the thing that makes Jesus's testimony concerning himself so astounding is that as we see described in Hebrews that this is the one by whom now God is going to present everything he wants humans to know. He did various things in the past but now the son of God is performing miracles he's stopping the storm he's raising the dead he's healing the sick He's demonstrating the power of God in every way. And the testimony of the people is when this man speaks, he speaks with authority, authority like no one else has. And so there's, there's the, the verbal testimony of Jesus, but there's also the testimony of what God is doing through him in all of these amazing times. For sure. And and deity is not something that that is graded, gradated, or you know, it's not like um, somebody is good looking. Well, they're they're more good looking than someone else. You know, what I mean, <laughs> de- deity is not that way. They either are or they're not. Yeah. You know, what I mean, so for someone to say they're deity, um, it's it's a yes or no. And if anything proves undeity, <laughs> you know, what I mean, then right. then they ain't. So that's that's what's be- actually that's what's beautiful about how eloquent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see. <laughs> and I can pray to the Lord. Um uh that's what's beautiful about um the scriptures in what Jesus says of himself is that's the choice. He either is God mm-hmm. or he's awful. He's liar, deceiver, blasphemer. Those are your options. It's not kind of good guy. That's that's not an option from what he said. Yeah. Um, you know, so people don't people want to be okay with, um, you know, 
you know, going going to church is okay, but don't be too crazy about this Jesus guy, you know, or something. I mean, they just want all these rain, this range of stuff with Jesus, you know, and that's not you don't get a range of stuff from the scriptures. He's either Almighty God or at least one of the worst people that ever lived. Right. You know. Right. You don't get the range in between because it's not a it's not a uh, a shaded thing when you claim to be almighty. That is right. In fact, Jesus had this same debate yeah. with the Pharisees at the time that they said, "Okay, what this man is doing is he is doing these things with the power of Beelzebub, right. of the devil." Yep. And so Jesus says to them, well, now that's a ridiculous argument. I'm paraphrasing, but it's a ridiculous argument because if Satan were behind these things, why is it that all of the things that I'm doing are good? Satan would be fighting with himself if he were doing that. So he's, he is uh, arguing in a logical way with them about their illogical conclusion that he must be doing the miracles he's doing by the power of Satan. Satan's miracles would not work that way. Yep. Satan would demonstrate the evil of his character in the way he performed miracles through this one if this man were from God, from the devil instead right. of being who he claimed he was. Yep. Right. I try to say that as often as I can. Um, because somehow that's been missed in our culture, mm-hmm. that your choices are either or, not kind of. Right. <laughs> either he was or he was the worst liar yeah. who walked the earth. Yeah. Okay, the, in the Gospels, um, in the trial uh, before the crucifixion, the Jesus is asked, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And the first time he's silent, fulfilling prophecy, he's asked again, and he says, I am. Now, he's not just answering the question, but he's, again, yep. using, using the name of God, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. If you don't think that was an offensive statement, <laughs> then it follows up. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of these witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. And so the yep. high priest, yep. he understands what Jesus is saying here and is leading them uh, to crucify him because he is claiming to be the Messiah, the, the almighty, holy son of God. Right. And, uh, and so it's clear what he's saying um, of himself, and the uh, gospel writers here are, are recording that for us to be clear as to what's going on. The gospel writers also, especially we find in Matthew uh, beginning with chapter 24, an incredible series of responses of Jesus to the disciples' questions about when the future things are going to take place and what they will be like. And when we get to chapter 25, 
we find Jesus saying these words, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, sitting on the throne of heaven. If that is not a claim for deity, there are no claims for deity. Yep. Yep. And we've referenced the John 1 passage multiple times of uh, John as a gospel writer equating the Word with God and the Word was God. So that's uh, certainly a clear uh, equation of God, uh, Christ with deity for sure. If Jesus were to make a claim, and, and he did, that the Father could only be revealed through him, what kind of a statement is that? What is, what is Jesus actually saying when he says, uh, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So he says he is revealing the Father. That's why Jesus yeah. could also say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Right. That oneness, again, is being emphasized, isn't it? I think that one's so clear that if you've seen me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The disciples are questioning and questioning, and he just makes it kind of clear to them uh, about it. Yes. If we wanted to move from here into further testimony, the next step would be to step out of the Gospels, wouldn't it? To, to move on to the epistles, to move on to the book of Acts and the epistles, to see what things were written about Jesus afterward. Because if, if Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the promised one, as he claimed to be, and if he was the Son of God, as he claimed to be, if he was one with the Father, as he claimed to be, then the disciples would either have to believe that or not believe that. And their actions from that point on would indicate whether, in fact, they believed it or not. Mm -hmm. And the things they wrote and said would indicate whether they had true faith in him as being God or whether they merely thought he was a great human being, a great leader, uh, and they themselves would have been deceived. But we have definite testimony all the way through that they did, in fact, believe that he was the Son of God, that he was God himself. Uh, for example, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, this is the first message that Peter has. Yeah, this, that, that, this address is it's incredible. It, it's incredible. <laughs> the, the first time Peter stands up and eloquently speaks to the, the whole assembly of individuals who were there, gathered together as God-fearers, people who feared the God of Israel, 
and he stands before this group and says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear on the day of Pentecost, yeah. Acts chapter 2. Yeah, yeah it's a powerful, <clears throat> powerful address for sure. He's not alone, though. Uh, Paul certainly gave clear testimony um, there in uh, Philippians 2, mm, uh, yes. talking about the equality with God, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery or um, an injustice to be equal with God. Um, so the equating Christ with the Father, of course. And again in Titus, um, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that would be something that we see multiple times, the, mm. the, the titles given to Jesus throughout the New Testament yes. of uh, God and Lord and those statements. Yeah, and, and this one is so clear because he, you know, there are times when people will say, well, if you look at the grammar, it probably is identifying the Father as God or God as God, mm -hmm. but not necessarily Jesus. But here, mm -hmm. grammatically speaking, there really isn't a strong argument against the right. translation that you just read. Right. The blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. We're not talking about the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the Father. That's not what the blessed hope is in the New Testament. Yeah. It's the appearing again of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Hebrew, Hebrew starts with a lengthy passage that has several, several statements that are um, strong. I just want to highlight a few of them. Okay. Um, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, uh, through whom also he made the world. And then he is the exact representation of his nature. Yes. I, think that's a, I think that one is a really important it part is. there. He's the exact representation of his nature, that there's no difference between the father and the son mm -hmm. uh, in, in, uh, in that. And so that passage goes on and has even more to say, but... Um, I think the exact representation of his nature is such an important one, and and the through whom he made the world, the the preexistence part is, is an important part there too. Yeah. We have uh we have Revelation one eight, uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and end, um, but I think really we could use the entirety of Revelation there. Mm -hmm. We have. Uh, the lamb who was slain opened in the scrolls. We have uh, Jesus on the horse, and then the, all the majesty brought with that. We have Christ on the throne. Uh, you know, there's there are. It's hard to get through Revelation without seeing right. a million different facets of the fact that Christ is God. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah sure. that's a beautiful book for demonstrating that, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Now, the last thing that we probably would, would want to say is all that we have been describing so far is what would be referred to as internal evidence. In other words, it's evidence that is found in the scriptures. And so there's, there's another form of evidence, and we're not going to be able to go into this in depth, but at least it's important for us to, to recognize the fact that there's external evidence, the, the evidence like 
we had discussed earlier concerning BC mm. <laughs> when Cy brought that up. Um, that, that definitely that was the last podcast, right? That was the last podcast. Yeah. Yep. We're recording two in one day, so it's, uh, <laughs> we're we're muddling them together. Sorry if that's uh, confusing. That's okay. No, it it we you Cy did make that comment earlier. Um, and I think it's important for us to recognize that there are some things that demonstrate outside of what the Bible say that recognition. Obviously, the fact that uh, uh, as, we, as we look at the culture in which the Gospels are found, and we find the description of Jesus's tomb being watched by guards and they had to be coached as to what to say about the fact that for some reason they were asleep when Jesus came forth. When we find the women being described over and over as the first ones to, the come, to come to the tomb, and yet the testimony of a woman at that time in that culture would have been worthless. Nobody listened to what a woman had to say. They would only listen to what a man had to say. That was the culture of that time. And yet the disciples, when they wrote the Gospels, were very clear on the fact that it was the women who were the ones who discovered the empty tomb. It was Mary who was there when Jesus appeared to her. These are powerful testimonies, and yet they're written in a way that would not have been written had anyone wanted to conceal this truth, that they were the ones who first saw Jesus. Right, the... the cultural the the external impact for the internal accuracy mm -hmm. right of the of that writing right another one certainly is the the apostles themselves what what did these apostles do well they went around preaching they got themselves arrested they were killed many of them in horrible ways all the way to their final words and the words of those who came after them who were in Nero's garden being burned there before uh, people who had no idea what these Christians were all about and their last breath would shout out something that they would hope would cause the people around them to realize they were testifying of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he was God, and they were dying for him. They were martyrs for him. Yeah, the the only Christianity goes back far cl close enough to Christ that the only thing that really makes sense outside of Christianity is that some small group made it up, mm -hmm. right, and made made Christ fit the prophecy, right, somehow. Or right. made a story about a guy and fooled mm -hmm. everyone into thinking that he fit the prophecy. Okay, yeah. but then that small group endured no no praise and wealth. They endured hardship and beating and right and and um, awful awful deaths, and and none of them walked back on it. None of them walk back on it. That's right. Um, it's, it's the the life of the disciples is an incredible testimony to the authenticity 
of the deity of Christ. Right. Um, because if it was a hoax, um, surely at some point they would have walked away. Yeah. And they just didn't. They just didn't. Um, you know, John lived a long time and not great. No. He lived a long time and and it was uh, faithfulness throughout the whole time. Uh, and and so uh, you know, and Paul Paul talks about all the, all the things he all went through. All the hardships. All the he hardships went he went through. Oh my word. Um, and all the imprisonments. And yet it was that same Paul who wrote if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, right. then our hope is in vain. Right. And so he very clearly tied the hope that he lived by, right. being re- willing to die, ready to die, wanting to go to be with his Lord, but staying behind and working with his hands and continuing to serve because he knew that was God's will for him. But he wanted to make sure that everyone realized that the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was behind all that he said and did. And to Grandpa's point about the external evidences, the it would have been easy in what from what dad's from dad's analogy, it'd been easy for them to write themselves in as having these horrible deaths. Sure. But other than John and Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we have the bio the scripture doesn't doesn't talk about any of the other disciples deaths we have external sources that, that tell us exactly that they were hung up they were crucified upside down and mm-hmm. buried alive and i mean the the terrible things they went through and it, it it wasn't it's not scripture that we have that's external sources that show us it's history that shows us right. how they how they died right we, yeah we have we in fact have actual testimonies from historians of that time, not necessarily in appreciation of Jesus and the Christians, but referring definitely to them. Josephus uh, wrote about a wise man, Jesus a wise man, uh, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as he has received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was Christ, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, and then he appeared alive again the third day. So this is the testimony of a first-century Jewish author. Tacitus mentions the Christians. Christus, the founder of the the class of men, loathed for their vices, whom the crowd styled Christians. This Christus had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. Celsius, a man who was later, second century, about who um, Origen wrote, was a man who spent his entire career trying to battle against what the Christians teach are taught. Uh, in order to be able to somehow triumph over the teachings of Christ. Uh, But he was uniformly condemned for his writings because the truth was out there. The truth was already out there. Right. So the, 
not only do we go back and know that Jesus was in history and and our our whole dating system is set up on him, but he was in history. But then we have the history of those that were impacted by him that you can go back to. Um, and so these historical facts are, um, historical people are there. Yes. Um, and so you can, you can now look back and, and, you know, try to wash over who they were, what they were. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's just denying what was really hap- what had really happened then, because these, um, these disciples of his um, did truly live as though they believed Jesus was the Son of God and never walked away from that. And that, right. that is, in, in the struggles that they had, it is uh, quite an amazing thing that that, that, that number of people n- never changed their story. That's right. And truly, hundreds of thousands of faithful believers since their time, mm-hmm. following with the message that they had received, who had come to know Christ as their Savior, have lived and died, many of them martyred for their faith because they believe the same message that we have been talking about today, that Jesus is yep. the Christ, well, there the would... Son of the living God, and they were willing to live for him right. and die for him. There would be fanatics of other religions Absolutely. That, that, would have, sure. that would have lived and died, but those early ones... Um, they would have known it was a hoax if it was a hoax, right? That's right. They were there. They wouldn't have just, they wouldn't have like, uh, you know, current day deceived um, cult followers that give their lives. Mm-hmm. They, they're they oblivious to the, to the truth. Right. But those early followers would have been into, they would have known the hoax. <laughs> right, if it were a hoax, if right. they had, if they had constructed a story, uh, they would have known the hoax, and it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't a hoax, it was the truth, and the truth spread so quickly. Right, the truth spread so quickly. Jesus appeared to over five hundred people right. at one time, and so it wasn't just the disciples right. who were spreading out with the news; it was all right. of those who were witnesses of right. him who were going out and telling others, right. we have seen the Christ. So much so that, as you say, the, the <clears throat> early, early historic, historical writers write of his resurrection as something that's just true, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just something that ha- it's, that's a part of history that right. they just remark on that he came back to life. Or the historians <laughs> will condemn what Jesus did and condemn the Christians because they were throwing their lives away and because they were claiming that this one had risen from the dead. They, the news was there. Right. <laughs> they had the news, whether they countered it or not, right. yep. just as it is today. Yep. Yep. Well, we hope that we have been a help in uh, looking at these different voices, uh, different um, witnesses about uh, Jesus truly being the Son of God, the Father, the Son himself, the Gospels, the New Testament writers, 
and then also exterior evidence uh, to the fact that Jesus is God and he is the Christ that has fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament and has fulfilled the payment of sin and offers forgiveness uh, for you. So um, hope that we've been a help in your life today as we've talked through these things and we'll continue talking about Christology as we move through these next several podcasts. So thank you for being with us today. Dig into the scriptures and see even more truth about our great Lord as we go through these together.